0: Dark Days of Dorothy Gale Aftermath for Episodes 22 and 22-2 Chapters 32 of Dark Days of Dorothy Gale the Search for Mister and Chapter 13 of The Wonderful Wizard of Oz The Rescue. Oh man, I have to say, I am so happy to be back to this three episode format, and so happy to be visiting the wonderful Wizard of Oz again. For anyone listening after the book has ended or binging the podcast in the future, I suppose this doesn't really matter, but for my dedicated listeners that check in right on time and listen week to week, I apologize. I know this is a Monday-Wednesday-Friday show, or at least that's how it originated. I'm going to have to change that schedule just a smidge. Instead of Monday-Wednesday-Friday, I'm going to have to do Tuesday-Thursday-Saturday. I would love to keep the Aftermath episodes on Fridays, but I don't think I can manage that until late August or early September of 2021. So again, if you're not listening weekly, or are catching up in the future, no big deal. You won't even notice. And I've effectively wasted your time with this bit of knowledge and apology. This week brings Dark Days back to a more traditional, Balmian take on the story, with plenty of things to compare and contrast. Also, if I do say so myself, and I do because I'm the only one talking here, I think these last couple of weeks, obviously including this one, are some of my best voice work. Put me on a stage or in front of a camera, And I don't know if I could recite this dialogue with the same level of emotion or passion. It would probably be a little bit robotic, like... Dorothy Gale, I thought I would never see you again. And Krista did not like water. I bet you would have a problem with it as well. (laughs) Okay, Maybe not quite that bad, but I don't think it would be as good as this podcast. Anyway, I have no choice of voice for most characters in Dark Days. A lot of my voices for The Wizard of Oz are based off actors, comedians, or other artists. Not so much for Dark Days, though. Going back and listening to older chapters, I think my Woodman voice was a little bit different. Here, I think I almost make him sound like a grizzled old cowboy. When the last episode of Dark Days drops, I plan on doing the George Lucas thing and going back for a remaster of those old episodes, giving them a fresh coat of paint. So again, to all the future people, if you've made it this far and you're all like, What's he talking about? He sounds the same. It might just be because you missed the true beginning of this grand experiment. And all the current people, go back and listen to one of those earlier episodes. Don't I sound different? You know, like season three of The Simpsons versus season whatever it is now? I know I'm only halfway through this, but I feel like I've made great strides in my presentation over the last six months. Or maybe it's all in my head. You know what they say, the writer is always their own worst critic. Dorothy returns to the woodman here. He notices the lion is gray and questions how he escaped. He also questions how Dorothy got to Krista. He just kind of accepts it though. He knows something is up, but he doesn't really push it. The change in the color of the lion is one of the more deep and profound pieces of the book. He's gray now because he is no longer bound to the woodman. He is neutral and lies somewhere between good and evil. His lack of color signifies that he has indeed changed his ways. Oh, how I wish, how I wish I was that profound. But I'm not. Maybe subconsciously I was thinking that way, but let's not give me too much credit here, please. Because then the bar just raises higher, and you begin to expect more from me. I just thought it was a cool idea for him to lose his color. Sometimes a story is just a story. The Woodman lets Dorothy know that he saw Mr. being carried away by a large beakless crow. He also mentions the winged monkeys getting him from the bird and tearing him apart. Limb from stitched-up limb. He isn't about to offer up any information on the Scarecrow's remains, though. At least, not without getting something in return from Dorothy. She and the lion get him down, and he's repaired by a winky tinsmith. Dorothy instructs the tinsmith to leave a rusted spot on the left-hand side of the woodman's chest. See? That was intentional and meaningful. His weak spot is where his heart should be. I'm not saying that's super deep, though. I'm just saying that's the kind of surface-level symbolism you can expect from this book and podcast. At least, for now. On their way to rescue Mister, they come across a group of wolves and a man-wolf. I like the term man-wolf. I know, I could have just said werewolf or maybe even wolf-man. If that's not stuck under some sort of copyright protection. But I went with Man-Wolf. I like to imagine Adam West saying it like he says Catwoman. It's the Cat-Woman. You know, it's the Man-Wolf. I know, that's a terrible Adam West impression. And I kind of apologize for it. This is a fight. I am not super confident in my ability to describe a fight sequence, so I hope it was okay. This was really the first actual fight sequence I've ever written. There's a couple more before the book is over, so if this one was poorly constructed, then maybe lower your expectations accordingly. But I like it, and I think it's not terrible. But I also have a biased opinion. Even if I am my own worst critic. The lion is anything but a coward here. And the woodman is anything but a well-oiled killing machine. I guess we know his only weakness. Man-wolf. That's a reference to my reference of an obscure mid-2000s LL Cool J actioner from a couple aftermaths ago. In case you didn't catch that. Which I'm sure you did, because you're good enough, you're smart enough, and doggone it, I like you. Dorothy shows a new level of initiative here as well. Last week we saw her threatening the Tin Woodman. This week we saw her scratching a rusty spot on his chassis with her knife and take on a beastly wolf. This encounter with the wolves is a direct reference to the wonderful Wizard of Oz. We saw Mister with the crows earlier on, and this week we actually see the woodman fighting off the wolves, and even chopping off one of their heads. After the wolves are done away with, they find Mister stuck in a tree, mostly intact. We see here that while the woodman may be slightly more trustworthy and helpful than before, he's still not that great of a guy. He chops down the tree with a strange sense of glee, and they proceed to rescue Mister. Mister comes to with some incoherent rambling. The line, Where am I at? Where's my supper? is an in-joke between myself and two of my oldest friends. I don't know if they have ever read the book, or if they even listen to this show. So, really, that joke is, entirely for my own benefit. Anyhoot, I don't remember exactly how that line came to be between us. At some point, I think we were just talking about what it would be like when we got old, and we were just really confused about everything. Because even in our youth, we always seemed to be confused about everything. I'm still not entirely sure where babies come from. My wife and the doctors that delivered our children have tried to explain it to me, but I'm not convinced that's how it really happens. Like, I'm just supposed to believe that stores were put on this planet to not deliver babies? Anyway, I digress. Once Mr. realizes where he is, he's understandably freaked out about seeing the lion and the woodman. He also shows a little bit of growth in his acknowledgment of a possible afterlife. This week in The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, we see Dorothy and the Lion, saving the Woodman and the Scarecrow as well. While the Woodman and Bomb's version wasn't destroyed by wolves, the Scarecrow was tossed into the tree. Dorothy and the Lion had their own little adventure in the Wicked Witch's Palace and are now free to save their friends. Enlisting the help of the Winkies, they rescue the Woodman and get him all fixed up. It is said that he is not vain, but in future Oz books, he is a little bit vain. But he's ready to help. This is one of those moments where I tried to keep my version in line with the bomb version. Obviously, it's not an identical adaptation, but you get what I mean. I hope. He chops down the tree, and they recover the scarecrow. There isn't really a lot to say about this. He's saved and put back together. Dorothy also acquires a new bracelet, which has no magical powers. But the bracelet in Dark Days is a reference to this in The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. If there was no bracelet in the bomb version, I might have just gone with like a necklace or something instead. She also gets the gold cap. Though, much like the bracelet in Dark Days, she doesn't really know what it does. In fact, Bombs Dorothy Gale doesn't even know it has powers. She just thinks it's pretty. And now that they are all fixed up and repaired and gifted a cane, because it's always wonderful cane weather, and a new hat and a new bracelet and a new oil can and gold collars and all that fun stuff, they're ready to be off to see the wonderful Wizard of Oz once more. And that brings us once again to the conclusion of yet another Aftermath episode. As usual, if I missed something or didn't address something you think I should have, you can let me know. I'm always open to questions and constructive criticism. You know, no need to be mean about it. You can always find me on Twitter, where I am at dark Dorothy G, or email me at Gale at Outlook.com. And if you're so inclined, you can even leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes or... Whatever it's called these days, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. Anyway, come back next week for another three-episode week. Chapter 33 of Dark Days of Dorothy Gale, The Ever-Changing Land, and Chapter 14 of The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, The Winged Monkeys. And, you know, this aftermath thing as well. I make it sound like the aftermath episodes are no fun, but honestly, I love doing these things. Every week, I sit down and I think to myself, "Hmm, this week there isn't much to say. The comparisons are pretty cut and dry. Yep, this week I'm gonna be concise and on topic and straightforward." Yeah, that's uh exactly how I sound. When I'm not doing this whole, you know, podcasting thing. Anyway, I always worry that I'm going to be too short. Or worse, uninformative. That I will not have enough to say. And I'm going to fail. And let my listeners down. And let me down in the process. And then I'll be letting my family down. And then I'll be letting everybody. in the whole world, it's just... (sighs) And then I start writing. And soon, one paragraph becomes two. And two becomes three. And before you know it, I've written a nearly five-page, 2,000-word, rambling essay. And I should probably put the word essay in air quotes when I say that. The point is... Thanks for listening. I love you all.